0: This is Vital Conversations, the podcast with Dr. Lars Gunner. Vanessa
1: Eubanks, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thank you. Hello, Dr. Lars.
1: (laughs) You are a child behavioral specialist and educational psychologist, and I can't imagine a better way to set off my series on conscious parenting than talking to you.
0: Thank you so much. That's so great of you to say.
1: So why don't you give everybody a brief background on on who you are and how you got to what you're doing right now and that way we can use that as a bridge to go forward.
0: Yes. Okay. So I started off working in the field in 2013. I started off as a behavior specialist working with kids with special needs um where I basically helped parents manage challenging behavior and also increase skills cuz behavior is a lot of things, you know. So behavior is not just um a maladaptive one. It's not just a tantrum. It's also like things you do. You drive a car, you turn on a light that those are all behaviors. So, um, you can hire a behavior specialist to do a number of things, whether it's, you know, decreased behavior or increased desired behavior. So I started doing that in 2013. Um, I went back to school and got my master's in, um, applied behavior analysis and then sat for the exam a couple years later after working in the school district. And then, um, I decided I wanted to go back to school for school psychology. So, I did that as well. Um, And then in between that time, I had my own two little ones where I got really involved in the parenting aspect and I became more conscious even as a parent and as a practitioner um, Mm. on how to better support the kids. And I found different parenting methods that, you know, kind of aligned with what I did but in a different way. And and then more and more, I started my social media and that's where I got where I am today.
1: I love it. What sparked this interest in... in behavioral specialty and educational psychology, was there some, an incident that happened or is this kind of, you wanted to serve the little ones?
0: You know, I didn't even know of the field till I graduated college and I had a friend who was working in the field and um, you know, she, did really well, and she really enjoyed it, and it was a really fulfilling job. And I really like kids, I've always liked kids. I mean, I guess I'm a, I'm a big kid, you know, so I <laughs> play. I mean, I want to I get paid to play with kids, like how cool I is, that? That <laughs> field is that? And it was just something I really took to, you know. Um, mm-hmm. within a couple months, I was already training to be a supervisor, and then, um, and that's when I went back to school, got my master's, and everything, and then yeah, I, I just uh, it, it kind of found me, and then every time I've tried to step out of the field, it just finds it finds its way back to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> again, in
1: a job and a calling now.
0: I guess, yeah, it really is. It really is. And, you know, even these days when I work and I take on clients, a lot of times it's like, I just, I know I can help them. So I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to do this because I know I can help this kid. I know I can help this family, you know, and, and that's, that's why I, that's even to this day, that's why I do what I do. You know, I just, a lot of times a parent comes to me and like, you know, oh, my child is this and you know, they're having problems in school or whatever it is. And I'm just like, I know I can help them. Like, I know probably just similar to you, you know, yeah. you see people come in, you know, for spine, for spine reasons or for either sick or whatever, and you know, you can help them. So you're like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, of course I'll do it. I can help you.
1: Yeah. It's, a, it's always yes. Even when, even when you're not sure, it's always yes. <laughs> uh, what what kind of things are you seeing? I know right now we're in a in a weird climate. I do want to get into that a little bit later, but what are types of behavioral? Um, uh, I don't. I want to use my words carefully. What kind of the behavioral alterations are you seeing in kids that you're seeing are the most common, and how are you helping with that?
0: So, I will say in the toddler years, it's mostly, you know, tantrums, not wanting to do things, you know, things like that. Um, potty training is a huge one. Um, mm. I, can't even, I can't even count how many kids I've potty trained. But even on like mom groups, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, my kid won't potty train. And that's a huge one I see. Um, right now, especially during the pandemic, I think a lot of people, it's keeping their kids busy. I feel like a lot of them are seeing a lot of behaviors in their kids because they can't go to play places, they can't, you know, they they are napping at the same time because there isn't really a structure to their day anymore. Just um, things like that, I think, are what I'm seeing now. Um, I still have, I still see um, kids with special needs as well. As you know, I have my clients, my clients that have you know t- neurotypically developing, and I, I see both. And this, the it's very similar. You know, it's all mm-hmm. you know behavior, tantrums, noncompliance, things that you know they don't want to do, and you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if somebody told me I didn't have to do something, I probably wouldn't do it either. You know,
1: that, that infinite power struggle between the parent and the child and and learning how to create structure with that. Is that mainly the things you're saying?
0: Yeah. You know, and I would say like, if you don't mind me just kind of going off on my own, you know, um, I think, you know, a lot of, there's this new phenomenon and I'm really excited. I'm so excited because it's the first time I'm coming out publicly talking about this is, um, gentle parenting. This is a new Mm. word that every parent is saying. It's like, oh, gentle parenting, gentle parenting. Like, this is a new thing, you know? And I think in our generation, you know, like you and I, our parents were very, you know, strict. I'm not saying all parents, I'm generalizing, but, you know, it was a very different time. People didn't really look at emotional regulation and our emotions as as much as they did, like, oh, you have to do this, you know? Mm. But now people are like, oh, we need to look at, you know, we need to look at emotions, you know, because we are tra- we have trauma from our childhood so now we're trying to be more conscious about the way we're raising our kids but the, then that's amazing we should definitely be emotionally conscious 100% mm-hmm. but gentle parenting is great and it's something i practice and it's something that you know i think is is fantastic but i do think that it's taken it's being taken in you know a very different context than what it what it's meant to be I think mm-hmm. a lot of parents are seeing gentle parenting and they're thinking, Oh, that means I let my kid do whatever they want. Oh, I'm a gentle parent. I don't want to make them do something. Cause you know, I'm a gentle parent. So like, Oh, you don't, you know, you don't want to eat your vegetables. Oh, I'm a gentle parent. You know, <laughs> <I'm a gentle laughs> it's it's
1: like, a continuation.
0: I'm a gentle It's like the, ug- <laughs> it's you the ugly cousin
1: of uh, participation trophies. It sounds like,
0: well, And you know, and, and I, I definitely agree with gentle parenting. I just think that what it's becoming and what people are, interpreting it to be is, is, can be troublesome. You know, there is a gift in, um, there's actually an article that I really love. It's called the gift of no. And there is a gift in no, And you know, sometimes our, our children need to learn no and structure. And, you know, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, because that's life, you know, in life, we don't get everything that we want. We just, we just don't. So I mean, I wish I did. That would be so cool. It'd be amazing <laughs> It'd be if I got easier. everything I wanted, I would be so happy. But unfortunately, you know, that's not life, and we need to we need to instill resilience in our kids because mm-hmm. it, anybody knows, you know, whatever happens to ad, whatever happens with adversity is, you know, that's just life. That's what happens. But how you react to it is going to determine your life. And so, mm-hmm. for our kids, you know, sometimes drawing a boundary is their adversity so Mm -hmm. you know we need to be able to build resilience in them you know so sometimes it is okay to say no you know it doesn't have to be every time you know i don't think we need to just say no all the time you know we definitely also want to introduce we want them to know that it's okay to ask even if the answer is going to be no but we want we want them to also feel confident in asking so it's not not everything needs to be no um i just do think that no is important sometimes you know and maybe it's not just no you know, maybe it's, you know, I can't let you do that. Or, or maybe it's just not today, you know, or not right now. Um, but mm-hmm. I think the constant yes, to everything can be troublesome. You know, um, are we, are we creating healthy boundaries? Or, you know, if not, then, you know, do you want like a police officer knocking on your door in a couple in the 20 years, you know, that I know, that's a broad claim, but somebody's gonna draw a boundary. So if it's not a parent, You might as well let it be you, you know, someone who's going to do it with love and compassion and with good intention, because if Mm -hmm. it's not us, it's going to be someone, whether it's a teacher or the rules of the law or, you know, a police officer or, you know, whatever, like there's always going to be someone to draw a boundary. So might as well teach our kids how to deal with them with love and, Mm -hmm. you know, with compassion. The,
1: the, the integration of boundaries is, is huge. Like you said, it's like, that's their, not only are they establishing respect and what they can, what they can do, but also what they can't get away with and not being able to get away with certain things at home is way less traumatic than not being able to get away with things at school, which could be a humiliation aspect or not being able to get away with things because of the law. Like you're saying, it's, it slowly escalates the longer these lessons don't get learned and they can, they have more life impacts. And I love, I, I think I say this Anytime we talk about psychology, I love the way Jordan Peterson says it. He's like, nobody else has to like your kids. So you better make sure that your kids don't do things that make you not like them. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't like your kids and you're allowing them to do those things, they're going to do other things to other people that make them not like them. And then they're not going to fit in society. And then when they don't fit in society, they don't contribute to society. And then it leads to this whole other host of things.
0: 100%. Yes. Yes. You get the nail on the head. Um,
1: what, what are the things that you are using for like the adoption of, of boundaries and responsibility and teaching kids for, uh, that at least I want to hear the way you're doing it with, with little Alan, your oldest son, and also how you plan on doing that in the future.
0: Okay. So, um, drawing a boundary, like you said, you know, boundaries are important, um, because also the way we draw them, our kids are going to see that and learn to draw their own too. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't. Kids may not always do what we say, but they're most certainly going to do what we do. And, um, you know, so I do, I have very clear, you know, boundaries for Alan. Um And sometimes it is, if he, you know, if he asks, you know, politely and nicely and calmly, you know, maybe there is room for some wiggle room, but, you know, we do have boundaries that we set. And the way I set them is it's this is, this is the boundary, you know, sometimes there's a choice with the boundary. A lot of times we call it in my field, it's called shared control. So Mm. you have to eat one of these things. Do you want it to be this or this, you know, and they choose it before you offer it onto the table because once Mm -hmm. you offer it onto the table and then they're like, no, I don't want it. You know, I'm sure we've all heard our kids do that. I certainly (laughs) we're doing that downstairs right now, but I mean, (laughs) that that becomes a challenging behavior that you may not even have to face. If you just say like, you know, do you want, this one or this one. And if they choose, they're gonna pick which one like is not as bad as the other one, you know? So and then they feel like they got some control. They feel like they got some power in it. They're like, Okay, cool. I chose one, I'm gonna do that one. And then, you know, so I definitely do that. Um, we have a pretty strong rhythm of how we do things. He actually knows the day, how the day goes based on what we're doing. Like he knows it's we wake up, he knows that it's like play, then it's breakfast, then it's play again then it's nap like he knows where we are in the day based on what we're doing because we have a pretty good um sometimes we are off schedule you know those birthday parties there are things that are that you know beyond our control and he's cool he's able to roll with the punches and you know Mm -hmm. but he still goes back to he's like okay so today was a no nap day because we went to this party so now it's like you know he calculates the day based on like the schedule that the strong rhythm we've established um so yeah we set a pretty strong um we set a pretty strong rhythm um you know the rules are, you know, the rules and we set them with love, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, that's what, that's what we do. And that's how I'll, that's how I'll plan on doing it with, um, Nathaniel too. I know that the battle is going to be, you know, when they're both, um, coming at each other with things, I'm yeah. sure I'll do that day too, you know, but, yeah. um, hopefully Have I'll you- for that when it happens <laughs>
1: i like that just like preparing the like structuring the day and then learning a schedule that has to teach them some amount of responsibility for for task management later on
0: mm-hmm. like
1: as far as integrating more school and more social relationships and then eventually getting into jobs like that has to lay down the groundwork
0: mm-hmm. and discipline you know mm-hmm. sometimes we don't always you know do what we want to do i would love to do what i want to do all the time yeah. you know but you know, it's also laying the groundwork, you know, for discipline. Not everybody's motivated all day, every day. You know, that's just not it. But if you teach discipline and we teach, like, these are the things that, you know, we have to do, then it's easier for them to transition that into adulthood.
1: What is this concept of gentle parenting? So we do like a real concept of gentle parenting. So we have an accurate picture as opposed to a watered down picture.
0: So, yeah, gentle parenting is um, basically acknowledging your child's feelings and knowing that they have them and honoring the feelings. However, with that being said, that doesn't mean that they don't have to now do whatever it is that they want to do. So if I told Alan, you know, it's time to come to the dinner table. And um, there's this really amazing author that I love. Her name is Janet Lansbury. And I've gotten a lot of, you know, my parenting strategies have integrated, you know, some of her teachings with things that I've done in ABA and put them together. And, um, you know, the way she would describe it to go down would be that, you know, Alan say he, I'm like, okay, somebody time to come to the table. And he's like, no, I'm playing. And I'm like, oh, I know you're having so much fun. So you acknowledge their emotion. You meet them emotionally first. Like, oh, I know it's so fun to play, huh? You really love to play, but it's time to come to the table. And then mm-hmm. he's like, no, my toys. I need to <laughs> play. These are real things that happen, by the way. And he's like, <laughs> I need to play. And people on Instagram are like, wow, your son's so well-behaved. Like, honestly, most of the time he is. But I, I would be lying if I said these moments didn't happen. He's like, no. I need to be with my toys. And then I'm like, I know, I know you seem really upset. You seem really upset. I know you don't want to come to the table. You're having so much fun with your toys, but it's time for dinner. Um, you know, I gave you, I gave you more time two times. I I know you really want to play, but it's time to come. If he drops it on the floor or whatever, it's, you know, most of the time, honestly, Alan will just come because he already knows if he doesn't come. I'm going to help him to the table. So he'll, he'll just come up to this point, but you know, say he didn't say he drops the ground. He's like no, and I'm like, it seems like you know you're really sad about that. Would you like to walk, or would you like me to help you to get to the table? Mm-hmm. Like he's still yeah. not acknowledging me. Then I'll just be okay. You no, know it seems like you're needing a little extra help today. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to help you to the table now. Mm-hmm. And then you know, pick him up and take him to the table. Thank goodness he's a toddler, you know, not a ten-year-old. You know, I could still pick him up pretty easily.
1: <laughs> we don't need yeah. him to be sixty, seventy pounds with you right. carrying him to the table.
0: Which is another thing, you know, in in doing this all early and doing this in the. In, this is why I'm so passionate about the toddler years, because these things are going to translate to when they're eight, ten years old. You know, you can't pick a ten year old off, t- a ten year old up off the floor. You can't. Like, you know, I mean, maybe you can. I don't know. You're really strong and you like jujitsu and stuff. So I, maybe I you can. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I know I can't. So we lay the groundwork down in their early toddler years, that that way. When they are eight or ten, these skills are so much easier to them. Transitioning is so much easier to them. Taking direction is so much easier to them. The argument I've gotten from a lot of parents is like, "Well, I want to teach my kid to be a boss. Like they're going to be a CEO. They're never going to need an employer, so so they don't Mm. need to listen." And it's like, "Well, no, you you do. They do need to listen. They're going to have a client. They're going to have a partner." Like I've actually really tried to examine this from all perspectives and think, you know, okay. Let me think about this. Am I wrong? You know, and not that anybody's wrong, not that anybody's right. You know, you take what you can and you, you put it within your family culture. I'm not, a, I'm not amazing hundred percent of the time. You know, I wish I was, but I'm not, you know, yeah. we're, we all make mistakes. So we're not, well, we're, we're
1: human. Good. We're subject to fatigue and emotions.
0: Right. And uh-huh. Sometimes I'm as much as we try. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. <laughs> you know, but for the <laughs> most part I try to instill the boundary and, There there will always be a client, you know, though, as you're a business owner, you know, I'm sure, you know, you got to make the client happy, you know, you you know, we, we have romantic partners, we have parents, we have loved ones, we have friends, you know, and Mm -hmm. we need to learn to be able to take, you know, direction and also give it, you know, but we also need to learn to take it as well so that we can make sure that we have, you know, these close relationships and we're able to establish, you know, meaningful bonds with people that we know we respect their, their wishes, you know, so so yeah, gentle parenting, you definitely, you you set boundaries, but you set them with love and compassion. You know, it's not like, it's not like, um, I know that back in our day, you know, hitting was a big thing. Like that's one thing I don't believe in. I don't believe in physical. Um, I don't, I don't believe in physical punishment. Um, I, I do believe in strong boundaries, but I don't believe in physical punishment. Usually studies show that physical punishment will usually just teach them to physically punish. So, Oh, mom and dad get mad whenever I, you know, touch this. So they hit me. So that's what I'm going to do. This kid got me mad. I'm going to go hit them. You know, they're going to, they're going to do what they see, you know? Mm. So I don't believe in physical punishment. I'm not saying like, you know, your kid saying he doesn't want to come dinner table. It doesn't mean like go hit them. No, definitely do not do that. But you know, a kid (laughs) is going to come to dinner table, help them come. You know, this is hard for them. Like this is showing a a skill deficit. This is difficult for them to transition. So we're going to help them. You know, it's like, I tell parents like it's like showing up to a job, right? You show up to work. Imagine not knowing like what your expectations were. There's no job mm. description. You show up to yeah. your job, and someone's like, "Oh, do your job," and you're like, "Oh my gosh, what's my job? Uh, yeah. This is stressful. This is how our kids like, oh,
1: I oh, I found some toys. This must be my new job. <laughs> right?
0: And and this is how they live. They come into this world not knowing anything about what's expected of them. You know, they they don't they don't know. And so we're here to help them and to teach them with love and respect, like definitely respect our kids. You know, I respect, I understand you want to play with your toys, but it's not time to play with their toys anymore. We had an hour. Now we're going to go to the dinner table, you know? So, um, so yes, that, that is what I would define gentle parenting is that we definitely respect, love and acknowledge our children and their feelings, but it doesn't create an absence in what their, you know, their, their job description is, is meant to be like, would you not be so stressed out if you showed up at your job and there were like no descriptions and nobody to tell you what to do? Like, how would you feel?
1: How did they not act out? What, what was the pattern? Like when we were kids, like what, what was like, I know at least like from, from like my development, this, this acknowledgement of like gentle parenting wasn't there, but then the idea of like no child left behind was around the, 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 what's called the the participation trophies was around. It sounds like there's, like eminence of this but like what what's the difference between that back then versus now like are we taking the not so good from there and getting rid of
0: it um so not so no child left behind act um so that was basically like those were laws put in place so basically meaning that children that were you know not succeeding academically we are going to um we're going to help them, we're going to remediate or help them and give them whatever things necessary, giving them, you know, it's called faith. So free and appropriate public education. So being able to um help them get to wherever I typically, you know, we most, the norm reference, you know, fourth grader is supposed to be. If this fourth grader is falling behind in reading, why are they falling behind, you know? Mm-hmm. So that is um no child left behind. That's still, you know, we still have that idea. We have to follow that, you know, in the school districts. Um, and I, I, love that we do actually, because, you know, there are kids that, that need a little extra support and I'm really mm-hmm. grateful to, um, so my other job. you know, <laughs> school psychology, I, I wear many hats, you know, so in the district, I do help, you know, with supporting those students, you know, who need a little extra support and a little extra help. Um, mm-hmm. so that's the only, no child left behind the participation trophies, you know, I don't know. I don't know about the participation trophies. Um, those weren't around when I was a kid. You're probably young. Actually, you are younger than me. So so I don't know. The funny, the funny thing is that, you know, anything that we do, right, in any kind of, of parenting um, or, you know, whatever it is. So, like, we look at YouTube, right? YouTube is a brand new thing that just was established a couple of years ago. We don't see the effects of any of these things until much later down the line, you know, 10, 20, you know, years. We can now follow these students through adulthood and see how they're functioning now. Um so, you know, things like participation trophies or, or whatnot, um, we're barely, you know, if, they, if those things started, you know, back in our day or, you know, your day, um, you know, we'll probably start to see the effects of those things now, you know, in, in the adults that we have in the workplace now. I mean, I know they call us like millennials and they have like a lot of things to say about us. But
1: It, yeah. it, it surprises me how big the millennial generation actually is. What is it, like 86 to like ninety oh or something like that? Right. It's, mad, it's <laughs> massive. And so there, there's no way to draw comparisons, but right, just re- referencing like while we're on it, like referencing the participation trophy, just from what I've read um, it over time, they, they've analyzed behavior patterns, like within the kids, I guess I'm the kids in this this scenario. Yeah. And it, it actually has led to the kids that actually h- highly perform, actually perform really, really well in these sports or competitions, whether it be math um, or athletic events, it makes them feel, um, like they aren't actually good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that actually are receiving the participation trophy, it doesn't actually make them feel more included in the participation. It actually makes them feel worse because they feel like they're achieving something without actually earning it. Wow. So it actually yeah. diminishes the the whole premise of like competing on the whole. So that's why I was like uh, making sure that we're, we're drawing that line of like, yeah. we're not saying you're good when, when you're clearly not like we're like, we want to make sure like, Hey, your, your performance wasn't where we want it to be. It doesn't mean it's a staple on your character, but it does mean that there's, there's room for improvement. If you want to be good at X mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to like kind of grouping everyone together and saying like, we're all good. We're all the same. Everyone's happy.
0: You know, And the good thing about that too, is making it behaviorally based. So like a lot of things, you know, I don't know if you've ever, like, I'm sure you have, because this is like a, a new, this is another new phenomenon now, right? Is like growth mindset. So like growth yeah. mindset versus like fixed mindset. So fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. You must be really good at math. You are just mm-hmm. good at math. That is fixed mindset. So the growth mindset would be like, wow, you really practice math. Like you practice a lot. I see that every night you are studying math. Wow. Yeah. You know, you did win the the math um, decathlon. Yeah. You practice every night you study. Like, so making it about the work that you put in. Mm-hmm. Yes. We all have talents. Yes. We're all good at things you know, probably more better at, we're probably better at some things, you know, than others, but it still takes hard work regardless of talent, you know? So mm-hmm. making it more about like, wow, you are, well, you really enjoy doing that. Or you've been doing that every day. I've been seeing you practice. You know, a lot of times Ellen will ask me too, like, how did, um, so-and-so make it, you know, I have a friend whose husband plays baseball. So like, oh, so how did he get to do baseball as his job? And I'm like, you mm-hmm. know, well, he practices a lot. He's been practicing since he was a kid. He practices Mm -hmm. all the time, you know, versus just like, oh, wow, he's just really good at baseball because then they Mm -hmm. just, they see talent as this like magical thing that's just bestowed upon them, you know,
1: (laughs) (laughs) reigning from God,
0: (laughs) (laughs) which I mean, we are giving gifts. We really are. We are giving gifts, but if you don't unlock and access those gifts, then what are the, what what are the good gifts, you know? Mm -hmm. So so making it about behavioral, you know, behavior and, um, and, uh, and the approach of the hard work versus like. The end result. That's another thing with parents too. Parents are like, "Oh, um, I'm going to give you a new sweater." This is a real example from my my mother's parenting to me. You know, her. Oh, my mom was geez. like, "I will buy you a sweater if you get an yep. A in your class." Which, <laughs> is, of course, it's going to like. Stri- I'm going to strive to get an A in the class, but I mean, it's a better approach would be, "I'm going to buy you a sweater if I see you." So right now, pretend my studying is like ten minutes a day, right? 10 minutes a day is my studying, you know, and that's it. That's all I'm doing. So say like my mom wants to wants me to increase my studying. So then she'd be like, you know, I will buy you a sweater for, you know, every 20 minutes a day, you know, that you're, if you're studying 20 minutes a day. So making it more about praising the behavior that it takes mm-hmm. to get there versus the end result. Why? Because there are a lot of reasons. So this maybe this professor's grading standards are easy or hard, you know, or maybe like, maybe their grading has nothing to do with, you know, whatever, but we want, we want to instill in our kids is the discipline, the being able to sit and attend to something, you know, being able to work towards something versus just the end result. Because, you know, honestly, for whatever it was, I think it was like chemistry. I don't know, whatever my mom was like making me do, like was something that I could probably just chill through and like get, I mean, what was I, what was I getting a sweater for? Just like chilling, you know? So I, mean, like, I,
1: I like that a lot actually, because it's, with an end result, there's like you said, there's so many different confounding variables. I mean, it could be the testing. Is it is it graded on a bell curve? And what do you who are you competing against? If that's the case? Or are you tired one day? Or do you get sick? Like, but if you're actually praising behaviors, that makes more sense to make you're, you're training muscles, you're building skills, and you're doing all the things that actually fortify the person for uh, cross class skills of mm-hmm. okay now you know how to sit down and be attentive and learn okay now you can sit down and be attentive and learn anything if you really wanted
0: to right and teaching them though like those rudimentary skills you know of just like sitting being able to attend being able to learn something you know mm-hmm. and actually the like you said the participation trophy um brings up actually something for me sorry backtracking a little um the good jobbing i feel a lot of times parents we just want to say good job like all the time like, oh good mm-hmm. job Good job. And yeah. honestly, sometimes it's really warranted. Sometimes, like, whoa, that was really cool, you know. But we also need to be careful about when that's used because if it's just something we use for everything, then it, it doesn't first of all it takes away its meaning. Second of all, we want our kids to be intrinsically motivated. So instead of them seeking our approval, it's like, wow, you must be really proud of yourself. You jumped off of that, and that was so high. You must be so proud of yourself. Like, how do you feel? You know, so making it more about what they feel versus like, here is your here is your good job. You know, I say it's a good job. So, you know, it, it's like taking that power away from us and our words and out, the outer variables versus like instilling in them, you know, like, wow, I jumped off of that. And that was really hard. I was kind of scared and I feel really, cool, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, yeah, that was the participation thing too, Is like making it instead of them seeking other people's approval, you know, seeking their approval within themselves.
1: I mean, I think now more than ever, that's going to be one of the biggest things to instill in our kids. Cause it's, we are an extrinsically driven society right now like so I think social now media. more than ever social media and and just the the bombardment of, of information that we're being thrown at like we don't know how to gauge things in and of ourselves through merit anymore, almost. We, we want that external validation of like, did I do good? Did I do, did did I do a good job? Someone say something when really it's learning like, Hey, you have a lot of value. You have a lot of power. You're, you're doing great. And Mm -hmm. that is a hard place to get to.
0: Yeah, it is. And especially with like, you know, Facebook and Instagram, like, and you know, so any behaviorist knows. So the way you, the way we are like rewarded, you know, quote unquote, we call it reinforced, but the way we are, you know, we, our behaviors are reinforced is, um, you know, we do it, we do an action and then it receives either like, it sees some kind of consequence, whether it's a positive one or a negative one, whether it makes us want to do it more, or makes us want to do it less. So say, you know, let's take a girl, you know, post a picture of herself. And then it gets like a bunch of likes, but the way the likes come in The likes don't come in like you get all the likes at once, right? You get the likes come in at a variable where it's like you get a couple, then you get a little less and you get a couple, you know, like it's it's called this intermittent variable ratio reinforcement, which basically is the highest standard in like behavior maintenance. So like -hmm. if you think about going to a casino and you play the um, slot machine, that is an Mm -hmm. intermittent variable ratio. So that's just a fancy word to mean that like sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. And that's mm-hmm. the highest rate to maintain behavior. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, say like, you know, a teenager posts a picture of herself and then, you know, it's, it got, it got some likes, but you know, it's not happening all at once. It's like up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. So then the likelihood of like her posting these pictures, you know, it, it's going to, it's going to continue. So, yeah. so yeah, that's just, that's how, that's how this goes down. It's like, and even too like, maybe she posted a picture. This one got likes, this one did not, but they're like the kind of the same thing. So, going to keep continuing because sometimes it's going to get legs sometimes it's not you know and like the gambling you know there's
1: that's terrifying because there's there's a certain thing that's done it's done in lab animals to get them addicted to things they first did it with with cocaine with mice and it, it is that habituation that that untimely habituation where they put cocaine into water but they don't put the same amount every time they do it in variable amounts mm-hmm. and so it it influences the idea like what am i getting this time what am i getting this time and the exact same thing happens with sugar and actually they will pick sugar over cocaine ah. and so that that goes to show like and we can get all into like food science as well because i mean they genetically engine they they engineered cereals back like for our generation the millennials the the big millennial generation They engineered cereals to sit in a specific point that they call the bliss point where we can have the most amount of sugar without causing palate fatigue. Because have you ever like been eating a steak and all of a sudden you're like, I can't eat anymore. Or if you're eating something like really, really sweet and you're like, oh, it's like hurting my teeth or it's not good. But they figured out a way to create a bliss point where you can keep eating, 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 eating and you actually your palate never gets tired of it. Your brain never signals to stop eating it. But that's the same idea is like each bite is completely different the same thing for mice. Each sugar hit is completely different. Each cocaine hit is completely different. And that's how we are structuring our mental health by how are these likes trickling in? It's different every single time. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's terrifying that these same modalities that they're using for food addiction, they're using for social media
0: addiction. Right? Yeah.
1: 100%. (laughs) That's
0: how how this goes down.
1: What are your thoughts on screen time?
0: Ooh, there we go. Now we're getting to the nitty gritty. This is another thing I don't really talk about on social media. And the reason why I don't is, and I'm actually I'm grateful to talk about it here because I really have been wanting to get off my chest. But um, the reason why I don't is because I feel like, yes, I so I will start off by saying I am a no, absolutely no screen time parent. I know that is not the norm, but um, we don't do any screen time. We do zero screen time. And um, I know that... M- majority of my followers like just statistically speaking do some form of screen time i'm sure you know um and i i want to be sensitive you know to moms that may be single moms especially right now with covid you know a lot of a lot of parents you know the, the kind of school that my son goes to is like there's supposed to be media policy where kids don't watch any tv or any mm-hmm. screens for that matter and yeah. a lot of parents that have been you know applying to school you know they get asked in the interview do you give screens to your child and um a lot of the answer, like the staple answer right now is like, well, we didn't, but then COVID, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, so I will start off by that. Yes, I am a no screen time parent, but I, I also do try to be sensitive because I know that there are some, you know, parents who just have no other option. You know, mm-hmm. it is a babysitter. It is, it is, you know, something that they need to do or sometimes, you know, p- parents just enjoy it. You know, I, I have a best friend who's like, she's pretty no screen time as well, but, She's like, you know, I just want to watch a Disney movie with my kids sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, like, who can get mad at her for that? Like, that's just what, you know, and the thing is, is like, she knows the pros. She knows the cons and has weighted it to fit her family lifestyle, which I think is beautiful. You know, we have the knowledge. We have the research. We have the data. But how can you fit it within the realms of your family? You know, so she knows she doesn't give, she doesn't give screen time to her kid as a babysitter, but she gives it to her as a family time to connect together, you know? Mm. Um, so my thoughts on screen time. Here we go. So the way the screens move and the way that the way it goes digitally and it it inputs in our mind sensorily is it's it's decreasing attention span for these young brains because they are taking in so much. They are taking in so much right now. Everything that we feel, they feel like times a million. And Mm -hmm. when they see these things on the screen, you know, partially a lot of it is hard to understand, like what's real and what's not. Right. Um, so there, so there's that aspect of it. And then a lot of people are like, wow, like they really like Spider-Man. They really like, you know, Cinderella because they saw it on TV. And, you know, there's this argument going on. It's like, well, do they really like that? Or is it just that they have just sat through 90 minutes of like their brain trying to trying to sensorly process what's happening in front of them? So now they're acting out Cinderella. They're acting out Spider-Man for the next three hours because they are processing right. what just happened. You know, so it's like, do they really like this or is, are they still working through, you know, everything in the brain? Like so
1: digesting the information 100%. that they just went,
0: okay, 100%. And so there's, there's that, you know, um, it's also, you know, it's shown that screen time, you know, increases a chance of a speech delay in, you know, also attention span, um, decreases attention span. So, you know, and a lot of times, a lot of the kids, the special needs kids I work with, especially, you know, a lot of kids with autism, they do this thing that's called scripting, where they um they say things like from movies or they say things from you know things that they watch you know and it just kind of like sometimes it will seriously just like take over like I, and i'm trying to work with them and i'm like here let's do this and then it's like little they're scripting like whatever they saw it it's just like coming out and coming out and like it's wow. just playing it like literally a movie is like it's almost like a movie is like playing in their head i work with parents mm-hmm. who are literally like telling their kid like turn off the movie i see you playing it in your head turn it off you know like <laughs> <laughs> so bizarre but yes yeah, so um, so yeah, and honestly, like I see Alan do that with like books and songs that he hears mm-hmm. at school. Like I can only imagine what like how it would look if he got screens. Because sometimes he gets really caught up in like in like a song or something. We did it, we we're doing a photo shoot a, a couple weeks ago, and um, you know he was like singing a song from school, and he was like, it's up, up the the top. And like his mind is just in this song over and over and over. And I'm like, Alan, look at the camera. And he's yeah. like, <laughs> I'm like, Alan, like <laughs> we had to like literally like shake it would be like Alan, we are at a photo shoot right now. Break the oh, pattern, like,
1: break the pattern.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, okay. You know, but um, but yeah, you know, so you know, that's basically I know that it definitely would not be good for Alan because he he is a very, very sensory mm-hmm. kid. Like he takes in a lot, like you know, he loud noises, big arenas, those things are all very overwhelming for him. So I know that um screen time for him would definitely, um, not be super amazing. You know, um, there's also the argument that I hear that, oh, well, kids learn so much through, um, through TV, through movies, you know, whatnot. So while that may be somewhat true, there has been a study shown, um, that they gave, um, they took a popular, they wouldn't name, they wouldn't name the thing in the study, you know, but they said, they set out a popular learning, a popular, um, screen learning tool. And um, they took that and it was supposed to teach kids language Supposed to have like words and stuff to teach kids. And, and so they did that. They, they, they presented like some families here, you're going to do this. You're going to give your kid this thing, that your kid, this thing, where you you watch this thing, it's going to teach them X amount of words, you know, whatever. Then they gave it to another family. They gave it to other families that were like, okay, um, you sit there and watch this with your kids and interact with them about what's happening on the screen, you know? And then they gave it to another fam to other, other set of families that were like, Okay, these are a list of words. Just teach them in like whatever way it feels natural. However you feel like you want to teach these words, teach them. And actually the kids who were told, the parents who were told like teach them in whatever way it feels naturally, those kids learn significantly more than the kids who were learning from the screen. The second place winner was the one who was um, who was like, you know, the parents interact with the kids, you know, with, that was like a second place winner. But still by far was the first one, when the, the one was like, you know, just teach your kids however you feel comfortable teaching them. So, you know, yeah, they maybe they do learn in screens, but they will learn more, you know, from us and just naturally in, in our environment. So um, and also the thing about about these movies and stuff is like, you know, Disney and all these, you know, Pixar, all these people, you know, they're not creating these movies with child development experts. They're creating them in ways to make money, which they are very good at doing. You know, mm-hmm. they want you to buy the backpack. They want you to buy the movie, the DVD, to sign up for Disney Plus to go to the theme park, you know, to then when you go to the D- theme park, spend a million dollars on food. And then the yeah, they want you
1: to be an enthusiastic fan. They're not it's really trying to grow brain cells.
0: Right, right. They're not they don't have your your child's development in mind. They just they're wanting to, you know, um, make money and, and they're really good at it. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know like, oh, your kids should never see a square of their life. You know, like when we go to a restaurant and the TV's on, like, we're not like, oh my gosh, sit us on the other side of the restaurant, you know, like sure. with reason. I also don't want Alan to think that there's something wrong with it. I really don't. Um, I don't want to create some kind of complex. So it's like, we go to my mom's house and she's watching, you know, sports that she usually has something on over there. And I don't, I don't make her turn it off, you know? Um, even if you were to go to a friend's house and it's on, I don't, I don't make them turn it off. It's more just like within our home, he knows that like, you know, this is how we live. And, if he ever asks, like, oh, why don't I watch TV? It's usually just like, oh, you know, we, we're just we're too busy playing and we go outside and, you know, like, that's just how we do it. And he's like, okay, like, you can usually ask too many questions. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, my, that is my screen time spiel.
1: An- anecdotally, I've noticed ki- the kids that are not put in front of screens the most are actually the ones I prefer to be around. Like the, the ones that I, I see that, that they come in and they have an iPhone themselves or they're on the iPad, not only are, the, are I think their social skills are a little stunted um, as far as like eye contact, body language, learning how to, how to create a conversation. Even if it's just me directly asking them questions, they know how to at least like elaborate and get creative and have fun in the environment where the kids that are. On the screens, like there's just no engaging that they're so sucked into it. I even I'm starting to see patients now and I'm seeing more and more um, in Tennessee now. And I had a I believe she's 18, but I mean, and she came in. And she had, she has an upper neck problem with TMJ. Like, but when you have that kind of stuff, it actually neurologically starts to change you because it changes the blood supply to your brain, specifically the blood supply to, the, to your cortex, your rational centers. Mm-hmm. So you become more emotionally driven. And now think about being on your phone and being on a, like a highly emotionally driving behavioral programming device. And I could not get her to look up from her phone to talk to me. And it was so fast. I'm like, you are 18 years old. You are at like, you are a young adult. You're, you're looking at going to college or starting a career or traveling or whatever you're going to do to start figuring out who you are, because you have no idea what what you are right now. And, and she just cannot come out of her phone and she's swiping through Instagram and then she's going through TikTok. And, and I'm watching her go back and forth on this loop of like anxiety. And I'm like, the kids that I've seen, whether they be five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old. And their parents literally say like, they do not have a phone or if they are older, they have a phone only when they leave the house. And as soon as they come in the house, they put their room in their, put their phone in my room. Those are the kids I prefer to be around. And those are the kids I see the, that are most developed. So I don't know what we're going to learn from in the next 20 years from that, but it, that's from what I'm seeing so far.
0: Yeah, um, there's this movie or it's like a documentary more so than it is a movie. It's called Screenagers. And we mm. saw it last year and it's really good. And um, it talks about, you know, the effects of, of phones and everything. And one of the things that I, that really um, stood out to me as I watched, you know, these, these um, documentaries, the, the different casings of these kids is like behaviorally, I almost feel like it's easier to say no screens at all than to mm. have it sometimes because now it's creating like a thing. Like they were, they were showing in the movie, like, or the documentary side. That like you know there were eighth grade kids like breaking down and having tantrums like for their phone mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. you know behaviors that I'm ex- that I typically see from like you know three to five year olds you know these eighth graders are like dropping on the ground and ah oh, yeah that was. like you know things I see from you know the Ooh. younger kids that I work with and yeah. I was starting to I actually looked over to Big Alan my husband and was like man I almost feel like not giving anything is easier actually like for a parent like. It's easier because then now there's another thing that you have to draw a boundary on, you know? Like yeah. you're working on setting boundaries, but that's another thing. It's like, well, so how much, how less? Why can't them? When they start asking, why can't I have more? Why can't, you know what I mean? Like there's just, it's, it's another extra thing that like has to be dealt with than just like not doing it at all. So, mm-hmm. um, and I will say too, cause then like I know that a ton of behaviors come, you know, from kids when the screen gets turned off or, you know, whatever. Like Alan gets upset when like we're halfway through his audio book and I have to turn it off. And like people yeah. upset. like I could only <laughs> a movie midway turning it off, like and you know, kids gonna lose it and it's not their fault. I understand, like I would probably feel the same way, mm-hmm. you know. And so yeah, I almost feel like it may be easier to just not like at least from my perspective, I see the struggles and I feel like the struggles are less, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not adding to, you yeah. know. And then same thing, like at a at a restaurant, like I've gone with friends where you know, they rely on technology to keep their kids sitting at the table. And mm-hmm. like, then what happens when the phone dies? What happens if there's no Wi-Fi? Like then now now the kids upset and I don't blame them. They're used to having this all the time. And like, now it's not working. Like, what's the problem? I, I understand where they're coming from. You know what I mean? So that, that's why it's up to us as parents to help them learn to sit at a table versus just, you know, hear this. And I understand there are emergencies sometimes, you know, but there are times where it needs to be, you know, I understand completely, but yeah, that's, that's the importance of it really.
1: are yeah, What's so funny is I remember this was probably about two years ago now, back when uh, crowdfunding was really big. And I remember, uh, I forgot what the website was, but it was the big one that everyone was on. And I came across a phone. And Kickstarter? Sure it was called, yeah, it was Kickstarter. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it was called Lite Phone, like wow. L I T E phone. It was a phone that you and I would have gotten in high school. It, it literally, all it could do was text or call like four numbers. It can do GPS from where you are to home, and like that was it. The crazy part: this phone was like five hundred dollars.
0: Oh
1: my gosh. The most basic. basic, We're trying to rewind time and and just basically have a phone from two thousand three, and it's more expensive than a lot of the phones that we're having. I don't even know if it ever if ever got started up. It'd be worth like looking, but it's just. It's so crazy to me that like we've jumped so far forward in having these supercomputers in our pockets to now we're trying to rewind it a little bit if we are going to draw those boundaries with something that's more simpler, and then we have to pay so much more for it. It's so interesting.
0: Yeah, there's this man that I follow um, on, uh, on Instagram, and I really, really, really wish that I remembered his name right now. Um, I just followed him a couple weeks ago, and he has like a teenager who doesn't have a phone. Mm-hmm. And so for me as a parent, that's where I worry is like, man, like I don't want Alan to feel left out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it's crazy. And she seems happy as can be. And I would really love to like learn more about that as a team, you know, like, like I said, my, my level of, my level of expertise is, you know, usually the, the younger childhood, you know, K through five, that's like my, that's, that's where my strength is. Um, so yeah, I would really love to see like, you know, how that goes with having a teenager because i do feel for alan and i you know i, I want to make sure he doesn't feel left out but i also want to stay true to our lifestyle and stay true to the things that we believe in so um yeah i, I wish maybe i can shoot it to you and when, you, when i find yeah. his name i you have know, to please. have
1: him come on here too
0: yes oh my gosh yeah
1: what what are like the five skills have you have you really sat and thought about it? what are like the three or five skills you're really trying to teach like little alan nathaniel before they, they leave the nest with this type of, um, emotionally conscious parenting that you're doing. Are there ones that really stick out in your mind that, that you feel like you had to develop in and of yourself afterward or ones that just stick out to you in general?
0: Yeah. So I definitely want, um, Alan to, and Nathaniel to feel confident. I definitely want them to be confident. I want them to, you know, um, feel like they can ask questions and they can, you know, Sometimes Alan will ask like, if I'm like it's time to be done with your toys, and he's like, "Well, why?" I'm like, "Well, because it's time," you know. But I want it's okay. I want him to ask why, you know. I want him to be able to tell a boss one day, and you know, maybe ask politely, of course, you know. But why? The other thing is, I also want him to learn, you know, both of my kids, um, you know, emotional intelligence, you know, just being able to to seek out other people and see how they feel and take those into considerations. Not not codependence though. So I don't want him to feel like. Oh, that kid's crying because of you. Like, I definitely don't want that. But I want mm. him to be like, oh yeah, that that kid looks sad, huh? Like, you know, you you took that and he's sad. You know, and honestly, a lot of times if I tell Alan that, he'll one hundred percent like, you know, give the toy back or whatever. But um, he doesn't. He he is very very emotionally aware, um, almost to a fault actually. So the confidence thing is is now emerging. Um, once he started school, he used to be very shy, give kids everything he want they wanted, but mm. then he would be sad and be like, oh, I, they took all my toys, you know. So. Um, now he is confident he's also stepping into that and also trying to find his own balance within like, when is to, you know, like, when is he being, you know, quote unquote bossy and when is he, you know, just saying what he wants. So yes, I definitely want him to be able to communicate his wants and needs respectfully. Um, and also live within boundaries. Like I want him to be able to, you know, know where the boundaries are and stay within them, you know, whether it's a job, whether it's, you know, for a client or whatever, I want him to understand that, you know, we have the discipline to be able to stay, within whatever the expectation is um and yeah basically that's all i really want for him and just to be happy you know yeah. uh i want i feel like our generation of of kids um like of you are like you and i as we were kids like it was there was like you know a lot of like education was like so pressed on us you know and mm-hmm. i definitely want my kids to be like young educated you know individuals but within reason you know if alan mm-hmm. doesn't want to be like a rocket scientist well then that's okay you know like yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I want to, I definitely want them to feel honored and what they love and what they like. And yeah,
1: yeah. we, I mean, I grew up like, even though I was the first person in my, in my family to go to college and go through all that stuff, I was very much of the mindset of like, in order to be successful, you graduate high school, you go to college, you find a good job. Blah, 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 blah. And we know now, like that's, that's one way. That's not the only way. and, now, because we perpetuated, like, you must go to college, now we have a huge shortage of all the tradespeople. And we have right? a huge shortage of all these, like, huge, like, labor skills that are really, really important that we need. And they're just as high-paying as doctors. I mean, I tell people all the time, like, plumbers and electricians have the potential to get paid more than doctors. Oh,
0: no, i was <laughs> saying my dad's a plumber.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, this is awesome. We definitely have to have you back because I feel like there's so much more that we can dive into in mm-hmm. giving parents actual actionable tactics i feel like we just touched the surface but where can people find you on social and how can they reach out to you
0: yeah so my social media is um vanessa eubank but my name is spelled super interesting Um, v-e-n-n-e-s-a-e-u-b-a-n-k so vanessa eubank Um, that's my instagram handle and yeah i would love to talk to all of you thank you so much lars for having me this was amazing it was such so much fun
1: Thank you so much for taking the time, Vanessa. We will definitely have you back soon. That is this week of Vital Conversation, and that's a wrap. Boom. This
0: is Vital Conversation.